We're going to try to get through as much as we can of, Shli, of Shishi, the sixth reading of Parshas Balotcha. However, I must warn you in advance, this is a long aliyah, and the likelihood of us finishing it is quite low. We'll get through as much as we can. As a preface to today's Parsha, I would just say that on the surface, it seems like a downer. What do you know? And the reason I say that is because the Jewish people are just coming out of Sinai. My brother uh, Chaim mentioned to me that he read in, from the Maharal that the Jewish people were, as we learned from Rashi, the Jewish people were at Sinai, encamped at Sinai for almost a year, just shy of a year, 10 days shy of a year. And the Maharal explains that in terms of a couple after their marriage, there's this concept that they stay together for a year, the, the, the husband doesn't go out to war, he doesn't go out, to, he stays faithfully so that the couple can enjoy their time together for that first year, it's called Shana Rishona, the first year, and Maral compares that when the Jewish people and God got married at Mount Sinai, the chuppah being the mountain, they stay there for a year, so there, it's right after this very intense experience, and yet, as we'll see in the Parsha, the Jews begin to Kvetch. Now they've done this before the giving of the Torah also. There's no water, there's no this, but here it really seems um, unusual. So on the surface, it seems like a downer. Reminds me of, um, well, I'll leave it because we don't have time, but it's joke number 177. And on the surface, so it seems, seems like a downer. However, the way I understand it, what I've seen in the Rabbi Sichos and elsewhere, is, you know, you can understand it based on what it says in Pirkei Avot, in the fifth chapter, everything is about tens, that God created the world with ten, and there were ten tests that Abraham had, and there were ten miracles in Egypt, and ten miracles, and why ten? And the Maral explains that ten is a complete number. And if you don't have ten, you covered it, you got a 70 on the test, 90, but 100 is complete, 100%. That's the ten. So the, we, it's, we're told that the Jews tested God 10 times in the desert, right? And just as the miracles in Egypt came in tens, the test of Abraham came in 10, meaning that it was complete. It was absolute. Nothing was left not, that was not addressed, right? The miracles happened in all different ways. So no one could say, oh, it's only miraculous here, not there. Similarly, the Jews were testing God. Now we look at that as a bad thing. Well, you're supposed to have faith, etc. But on the positive side, What's happening here is that the negativity is being fl fleshed out. It's being fleshed out and flushed out. And the Jews are challenging God, and there's a response. Sometimes it comes with a punishment. But through these 10 tests that the Jewish people are actually challenging God and coming out on the other side of that, the Jewish people are purified and their relationship with God is even stronger. So sometimes, you know, you have a child who's rebelling against the parents. It's almost like a cry for a deeper relationship. That's how the Rebbe explained it in, in 5751 in 1991. He said, the, the, um, you know, on the, on the surface, externally, this is a rebellion against God, but deep down, it's a call, it's a cry for help. It's a yearning to, to connect with God at a deeper and higher level. So with that introduction, let us begin. And I'm first going to share the screen with a different Chomish we don't usually use, but it has something 
that I need to show you. And that is that today's portion begins with a very unusual, only happens once here in the Torah. And that is this portion here by Yehib and Soha Haron, which is, the, which is the verse that we say when we take out the Torah. And it is enclosed by these two upside down nuns. And we're told that this portion, these two verses are almost like a, a book onto themselves so much so that we say in, on, on one level, there are seven books of the Torah, not five, because everything before this portion in the book of Numbers and everything after this portion is a portion onto itself. So there uh, is, is a book onto itself. So there are three books, so to speak, in the book of Numbers, giving us a total of seven, which corresponds to the seven branch menorah, which we had at the beginning of the Parsha. But this is, Arashi will reference it. So this is why I brought it up for you here. But now we'll go back to our regular page. Assuming I can find it here. There we are. All right, you see the uh, Chumash with Rashi? No, okay. Zoom is still in the dark ages. That if you change your... Uh... Share the screen again. Okay, here we are. It was when the ark would travel. Now, which ark are we talking about? We didn't get to it yesterday, but it's important to note that there were two arks. One was the ark that was always in the center, in the tabernacle, with the Jews in formation around it. There was another ark that had the broken tablets in them that would go ahead of the Jewish people. That was from yesterday's reading. At a distance of three days, to flatten the, the, the land in front of them so that they would be able to encamp. This was a miraculous phenomenon and to get rid of any dangerous animals, creatures that might be there. So when that ark would travel, Moshe would say, Kuma Hashem, arise, O God, let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you run away from you, flee from you. Now, Rashi comments on those upside down nuns that I showed you in the other screen, that the reason why the Torah has these is to tell you, this is not the place of this portion. And because we already went through the whole story of how the Jews would travel, that was a whole long discussion with the trumpets and with the cloud going up. Why? And this is part of that story. And yet it's here after a interruption. Why? Why was it written here? Why was it plucked from there and put over here? The answer is in order to make a separation, lahafsik, between one bad story and another bad story, which we had uh, just before when it says that the Jews moved away from the mountain of God. The simple meaning is they traveled from there, but the deeper meaning is that they were moving away from God. And now what we're going to read now, the unfortunate story of the Jews complaining. So this is why the Torah puts this, these two verses here in order to make a separation between these two uh, difficult stories. Arise, O God, says Rashi, that the, this ark would go ahead of them by, for three, by three days distance. So Moshe was saying, Kuma, which means rise, Rashi is actually going to translate it as stop, stand, stand still. He's saying to the ark, saying to God, um, stay there and wait for us. Don't get too far away from us. 
Now Rashi says something very interesting on the words misanecha, those who hate you, God, says Rashi, these are the haters of Israel. And this is, you know, unfortunately coming at a time when we just saw the hatred of the Jewish people on display, says Rashi that people who hate the Jewish people actually hate God and vice versa. Those who hate God hate the Jewish people who are the representatives of God on this earth. Anyone who hates Israel, the Jewish people, hates the one who said, and the world came into being, he hates God. And he cites the verse from Psalms. Verse 36, and it's born out in history, all the anti-Semites, there was never any good anti-Semites. You know, they, they always showed their true colors. It wasn't just the Jews that they hated, but that they were corrupt and harmful to, every, to the world at large. When this ark came to rest, he would say, Shuva Hashem. Shuva means, usually means to return, but here it doesn't mean to return. It's not returning anywhere. But Shuv means to uh, settle and be tranquil, like when, from the word shave, to sit. Shuva Hashem, uh, repose, O God. Rivavais Alpha Yisrael, among the myriads of thousands of Israel. Rashi says something very interesting here. What's Rivavais? Rivavais, a Rivava is 10,000. Rivavot, which is plural, is two times 10,000, so that makes it 20,000. Alfe is plural of Elef. Elef is 1,000. Alfe is 2,000. So Rashi says, quoting from presumably the Medrash, um, not sure which one, and he says that God's presence dwells when there are 22,000. 22,000 is some kind of a magic number. Obviously, we know that the Shekhinah, the divine presence, rests when we have a minion. But clearly, Rashi's talking about a higher level of the manifestation of the divine presence, that that occurs no less, with no less than 22,000. And the number jumped out at me because that was that is also the number of the Levites that were being swapped with the uh, with the firstborn. Verse 1. Okay, so we have that uh, special portion where everything is great. And now, as I warned you, it's going to get bad. going to get ugly. The people were looking to complain. Okay, it's a good translation. Evil in the ears of God. Rashi is going to tell us what that means. It's not intuitive. God heard. Vayichar apoy, he got he got angry. Ativa bom eshashem, the fire of God burned in them. Vatoychal, it consumed biktsei hamachana at the extreme of the camp. What does that all of this mean? Let's look at Rashi because there's a lot between the lines. Vayiam kimesayinim ein haam elarishoyim. What does haam mean? What do they translate it? The people. Haam, the nation, the people. Rashi says when the verse refers to the nation, the people, it refers to the wicked among them. These are their shame. So already, even though it's a, a, a difficult story, at least we could say it wasn't the people in general. It was a specific, the, the wicked among them. Fine. When, when, um, when God is referring, and Torah is referring to the, to the, to the non-wicked among the Jewish people, it refers to them as Ami, my nation. Now, Kimis Oininim, what does this mean? We're looking to complain. Says Rashi exactly that. They were looking for a pretext, Alila, from the word To'ena. So Kimis Oninim is they were looking for a pretext. The Rebbe has a beautiful uh, comment on this. 
that even when they were complaining, it was only like the word, the ki, like they were complaining. That wasn't their, their true essence. Rabba Ozne Hashem, it was evil in the eyes of God. Says Rashi, this does not mean that what, that what they were doing was evil in God's ears. They, part of their pretext was they were looking for something to complain about that would be evil in the eyes of God. They wanted to anger God. There's a lot of dysfunction. Um, and what was it? What was their pretext? What were they going to say to get God angry? They said, "Oi, oi, lonu, woe is to us! How much have we suffered on this way of three days? As we didn't get to yesterday, but they traveled a three-day journey in one day. God moved them quickly. We did not have a chance to rest from the fatigue of of travel." And God gets angry and he says, I was doing it for their benefit so that they should get into the land of Israel immediately. And they're complaining that it was too quick. Now, what is B'Ktsei Hamachne, the extreme of the camp? Rashi gives two interpretations. The first is B'Muktsin. So the word Muktsa, you may be familiar with this word from Shabbat, the word Muktsa. Muktsa means set aside. So if there's an object that you wouldn't typically use on a Shabbat, such as a computer, that item is muktza. You're not supposed to move it around on Shabbos because it's not something you would have thought about using on Shabbat. So muktza means set aside. So, so these um, which you may have thought means the edge, actually means the people who are set aside, who are separate or different. And so the first interpretation is that they are untouchable. They are you know, set aside, lishiflus because of their lowliness, and that refers to the Erev Rav, the mixed multitude that, that came tagged along with the Jewish people. But a second interpretation from Rabbi Shimon ben Menasia says, or the sages of the Mishnah says, the katsinim shebahem, the katsinim are the distinguished ones among them and the prominent ones, which as a commentary say, refers to the 70 elders, and Rashi mentioned back at the giving of the Torah that they were the ones who saw this vision of, of, of God and were eating and drinking in this disrespectful manner, that they were punished now, first of all, because they, it was the, partially their fault, the leaders, that whatever happens with the people, it's the leader's fault that they didn't do a good job of education, but also this was based on what they had done in the past. Now, what do the Jews do when they see people dying? So they cry out to Moses, Moses, help! Moshe, Moshe prays for them to God, and the fire dies down. That's how they translate it. But the literal meaning of Vatishka means to sink. The fire sinks. And that's how Rashi interprets it literally, that it, it sinks into its place in the earth and does not return to any in any direction because if it had returned, it would have destroyed uh, where the direction that it was going. And also the commentaries say, um, did not go up either. So it went down into the earth. Rashi says, this is a mushal. When they call out to Moses, why are they calling out to Moses and not to God? So he says, this is a mushal, a parable for a human king who gets angry at his son, at the prince. And so what does the prince do? He doesn't go to the father because the father's angry. So he goes to the father's good friend and he says to him, do me a favor, go out and ask my father to forgive me. Verse 3, and they called that place Tav-e-ra, 
Tavera means from the word boer, uh, which means to burn or fire, because it was there that the fire of God burned. And you think it's bad enough, it gets worse. Verse 4, the multitude that was among them, his avu taiva, they had a craving, a strong craving. They began to cry. They cried. Also the Jewish people. In other words, not just this asafsuf, this multitude, but the Jewish people proper began to cry and say, who is going to give us meat? Where is the beef? Now Rashi raises a question. Did they not have meat? We read in Exodus that they had all this, they came out with all of these animals. They had plenty of meat. And if you're going to say, well, they ate it from the time they came out of Egypt, Rashi says, no, that can't be because when they go into the land of Israel, it says, they still had lots and lots of cattle. But it goes back to what we said earlier. They were seeking a pretext. They were looking for something to complain about. And listen to what they said. We remember the dog, the fish that we ate in Egypt for free. Rashi says that's not how you should interpret it, free of charge. Because why would the Egyptians give them free fish? They wouldn't even give them the straw that they needed to make the bricks. So what does it mean, free? It says Rashi, that they were free of mitzvot. When they were in Egypt, they didn't have all these commandments. You can't do this, and you could do this. You can't touch this, and you could touch that. So they said, we had a good life back in Egypt. We didn't have all these rules, all these commandments. And about the mana also, there's all these commandments. Yeah, I got to pick it up here today and not tomorrow. So first of all, they're complaining that they remembered that the times in Egypt when they didn't have all of this religious pressures. And the second thing they said, they remember the cucumbers. Ah, the cucumbers. It's Avatichim, the watermelon, and the chotzir, the leek. The onions, ah, the Jews were always had garlic and pickles. This goes all the way back to Egypt, apparently. So Rashi says something very interesting, and we'll close it out here because we're running late. Rashi says, what is unique about these different vegetables? Rashi says, very interesting, that these uh, vegetables are uh, harmful, harmful for a pregnant woman to have because it's harmful for the baby. And when the, the baby uh, nurses from the mother, they're going to get this, this flavor, this food, this substance, and it's harmful. And so this is why, even though the mana, you could get whatever taste you wanted in the mana, but you couldn't get the taste of these things. And this is why they were complaining. And we'll have to leave it there. It's a real teaser. It's a, um, you know... We're leaving it right in the middle of the story, but I'm sure everybody can look in the Chumash and find out what happens next. And we'll open it up to questions and or comments. They also mentioned the fish. We know what they're referring to there, but they missed the fish. The herring. The herring, of course. <laughs> yeah, some versions have the herring. They, we remember the herring. Joking, Doesn't, no version has herring. Well, I, I had a comment. Um... You were talking about uh, the negative aspects of this uh, this reading, and I was thinking as we went along with that that uh, this seems to represent this temptation that's always in the ego. 
to separate from God. I mean, what is this about? And I was thinking, are we looking for power and control? Somehow we have insecurities because we know we're not God, but somehow we're looking for power and control rather than surrendering to the true power and control in God. That's the way. I Excellent. That's a hundred percent. That's, that's what's going on with these people. And um, right. We could see that in ourselves. And um, the lesson, one of the, one of the simpler lessons is, you know, when the, as I mentioned, the verse says that they moved away from the mountain of God. They weren't just geographically moving away where they're trying to the ego, right. To, um, as you said, to assert itself that, 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 that never ends well never ends well. The distancing ourselves from God does not end well. The temptation is there, but we see here very clearly the, the, the uh, consequences of that. And in the desert, you know, they have this very close relationship with God. And so when, as soon as you stepped out of line, reality kicked in. Um, today, not necessarily so. The freedom of choice, you can, you can uh, go on your way, and may not see the consequences right away, but the truth remains um, the best way to play it. Stay close to God and bring the ego on board. Rabbi, I had a quick question. Baka Sorry, shot. I can't turn on my camera. I'm, I'm driving. So um, we're, here's my we're envisioning you. You're envisioning me. Okay. Um, so if God creates everything in the world at all times, right? Yeah. And you said earlier that you know those who hate the Jews and Israel essentially are hating God, right? Why, uh, according to Torah perspective, why does God create anti-Semitism and so many millions of people that hate Jews and do all these things even now? What is the purpose of that? Great question. Um, that's a general question. I think we could ask why is evil exist to begin with? in any form, and that is to uh, create the challenge. You know, with the, the, the time of Mashiach, right, that's the time when all this hatred will go away. But to get to that, we need to first go through, um, you know, the challenges of, of transforming the world, of, of fixing the world, and uh, bringing the world of peace and perfection, the godly world that is created by us and our actions and our efforts instead of it just being laid out on a platter for us like we had in the Garden of Eden when we first started. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's probably the answer. So it's a, so it's a test so, so that we have to I mean, somehow work to overcome it. I guess I'm just exactly. trying to... Exactly. I mean, I kind of get it generally, but okay. Exactly. And, um, yeah, I mean, you could say in particular when it comes to anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism does serve... Um, a certain goal, which is a keep, it reminds the Jews that they're different and that they have a unique mission, right? And something we want to forget sometimes, like these Jews in the Parsha, they just left Sinai, but they 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 want to they want to leave Sinai, they want to leave the Torah and and God as well. And sometimes when 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 uh, you're walking down the street and someone says, "Hey, you Jew," right? It's a reminder. Yes, I'm a Jew. I have to. I'm, I have special mission in in this world. I have to study Torah. I've got to do mitzvahs, and sometimes we're reminded by that in a in a rude awakening. But the ultimate goal, as I said, is the time of Mashiach when there will be peace, 
between all nations, and that's what we're working towards, one mitzvah at a time. Pleasure. Well, thank you, gentlemen. This has been fantastic. I wish you a beautiful Shabbat, Balotcha, and look forward to seeing you either on Shabbat or Sunday morning, 8.35. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.